Welcome to Shifting Schools, episode 229. This episode is sponsored by Flexispot.com, the maker of ergonomic furniture. Check out their latest furniture and save $20 on their new E7 Pro Plus standing desk with height adjustability from 22 inches to 52 inches when you use the offer code SHIFTING20 at checkout. All right, Trisha, welcome back to another Shifting Schools. I'm here, of course, with my co-host, Trisha Friedman, and we just got off a great interview with Harsha from the San Francisco Chronicle talking about data visualization and his job as a graphic reporter. Trisha, what was one thing that kind of stood out to you uh, in this interview? Harsha really brings to life for me when we're advocating for holistic learning, when we're advocating for interdisciplinary, you know, planning math and ELA teacher together. If we're not telling our learners about how that type of thinking and that type of learning is actually tied to different career pathways, I think we're missing out. And Harsha really talks about how his role and the work that he does in data journalism, that's all about interdisciplinary learning and the different skills and the different understandings from a variety of subject areas. Yeah. And I I love this idea. He talks about... um, you know, the two different places that you think about as a journalist nowadays is space versus time. That if you are writing for a traditional newspaper, uh, you're, you're confined by space. But if you're writing online, if you're writing for the online, then you're, you're confined by time because people aren't willing to sit there and read, you know, for 35 minutes. As much as you would love them to, most people are not going to do that. And so, when you're writing, you're in two different mindsets. And I love that idea when we start thinking about the classroom. As classroom teachers, how often are we setting up assignments that are space versus time constraints? You know, for example, I'm setting up an assignment where you have X amount of space to use 500 words, 250 words, 1,000 words is a space limitation versus setting up assignments saying you have a time constraint. That time is I need to be able to read it within three minutes. I need to be able to watch it within five minutes. I need to be able to hear it within whatever the time constraints are. Are we setting up assignments that are both time constraint and space constraints? I just love that idea. And we talk about that in this podcast. It's just, and as soon as he said it, I was like, are we doing that in schools? Are we helping kids be able to maneuver in both of these, both of these worlds? And, you know, he reminds us that we have to question how is it that we can drive empathy, drive concern, drive awareness as storytellers. And, um, you know, Harsha will talk about how he really sees data journalism essentially as storytelling. And, uh, you know, it's a really good reminder that our understanding of what storytelling is and the different ways that we can explore being a storyteller, um, there are a lot of different pathways and a lot of different tools to consider. Yeah. And he talks about one of the ways he got into this is he lived in a, a lot of different places in India when he was raised. I think he says 10 or 12 different places he was raised. And because he moved around a lot, it got him interested in maps and maps can tell stories. And, you know, this is one of my passions is I love Google My Maps because it allows us to, to story mapping and story mapping is a new genre. It's where we're telling stories on top of maps. Uh, it's a great place to have kids hang out. If you are a Google school, that's fantastic. If you're not at Google school, you can still use Google My Maps. 
And in our pathway over at Shifting Schools, we have a whole pathway on using Google My Maps to help tell mapping stories. And in that pathway, I talk about how you can upload data sets. So one of the things Harsha talks about today is this idea of the fault lines that they just did uh, yesterday uh, from when we're recording this. He was putting together a article around the faults around California, around the San Francisco Bay area. But you can take that data and you can actually upload that data into Google My Maps so kids can start to visualize data on top of a map. You can do this. And in the pathway, I show you how do you find these data sets that are freely available all over the web and how you can get them into maps so kids can start looking at data, telling stories with data, seeing relationships between data. So we'll make sure there's a link to that in the show notes. That's the Google my maps pathway over at shifting schools, I think fits really well with today's episode of this is something that you're really interested in. And you have students that are interested in maps. 100%. And listeners, if this is the first time you are finding the show and this idea of uh, using data to tell stories really interests you, you might also want to give episode 226 with Gabrielle Marit a listen. Um, again, that's another great example of how our definition of who a storyteller is, is growing and expanding. And I think our, our approaches to teaching storytelling need to do the same. Yeah, it's such a great episode. I think you're you're really going to enjoy this one. Harsha gives some really great tips. I love we don't talk specifically about empathy, like you brought up, Tricia, but it's all over this episode as a skill set on being a journalist today. I'm excited for you to hear this. This is Harsha from the San Francisco Chronicle as his job as a graphic reporter. And with that, on with the show. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Shifting Schools. I'm here today with Trisha and Harsha. Trisha, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thanks for asking, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing just fine. And we've got our special guest, Harsha, here today, who's going to be talking all about data visualization. Uh, this is part of our series all about data in schools, why it's important, and some of the new uh, even new jobs that are around data, the importance of data visualization. Why do we need to be focusing on this in schools? Harsha, welcome to the podcast. Give us a little, uh, give us a little bit about your background. Hi, my name is Harsha. I'm currently a graphics reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, before this, I was working in India as a product lead uh, for a startup that was building an environmental data platform. And before that, I was a software developer and a data journalist for a business newspaper in India. Uh, so I've been in the field of data journalism for the last couple of years. And uh, what can I say? I like data visualization. I love that. So let's talk about that. Uh, th you know, you, your whole background is through this idea of data visualization. You now work for the San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, so can you kind of maybe walk our audience through teachers and maybe students who are listening to this? on what, what is your definition of data visualization? What does that mean? And why do you think this is a, an important tool to raise awareness? Sure. Uh, when it comes to defining data visualization, I think of what Alberto Cairo, who's a very famous expert in this domain. Uh, who's, he's a professor at the University of Miami and has written this very famous book called How Charts Lie. Um, he defines data visualization as a way of representing things uh, that enables exploring, discovering, and communicating ideas um, through charts, 
maps and other kinds of graphical representations. And I think that captures what data visualization is as succinctly as possible. Awesome. I, I, that's a great book recommendation too, Harsha. Thank you. I'm going to check that out. If our research about you is correct, uh, you have a, a master's from Columbia University in data journalism. I didn't even realize that was a pathway for studying. That, that's right. amazing. <laughs> um, I, I know that many of our listeners will be familiar with teaching traditional journalism. I'm wondering if you could clarify how data journalism sort of builds on or breaks away from what um, many folks might understand about what a traditional journalist has done in the past? Well, that's a great question. Um, a lot of people like to think that data journalism is like this new innovative thing. There's some truth to it. Um, it is a way data journalism uh, or data visualization in journalism, there are ways of analyzing and filtering large data sets for creating new stories. So you have skills that usually involve some sort of computational skills like coding um, or visualization, which are not skills that are traditionally associated with journalism. But you use these skills for the purposes of journalism. So in a way, it's just a type of journalism where the medium that you choose to do journalism is through data. So in a way, it is new, but it's also not new, if that makes any sense. It um, does. I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering if it's sort of, um, you know, as I'm thinking about the sections of the newspaper or the scrolling that I do, would a data journalist, uh, you know, I'm thinking right off the top of, of my mind, you know, obviously like global politics, I could see a connection, but I could also see maybe there's a connection with the sports section. Do you tend to have data journalists working across all fields or, or is there more of a, you know, we specialize with one type of story? Well, that's a great question. Uh, a lot of people think data is something that's associated with sports or, you know, something like politics or wherever there are numbers around. But I think the point of data journalism is to tell stories. Uh, telling mm -hmm. stories through data is the primary goal. And the findings that you get from data can be from any domain. Um, there is 538, which originally started out as a politics thing, and now they specialize very heavily in sports data journalism. And then you have people like at the Washington Post who also use data to talk about important things like race. Um, I can actually quickly plug in for one of my favorite pieces of all time. Uh, the Washington Post did this, I think, in 2018. It's called America is More Diverse Than Ever. Um, they basically use the census data to map out every single individual in the United States. And then they zoom into uh, big American cities. And then you can see the effects of redlining in American cities. You can see mm. how cities in America are ghettoized in a way, in a way that strikes you like nothing else can, in my opinion. You can read about... You can read a lot of theory about how we're in post-racial America, how this is a new era where race does not matter. And then you have this data set that quickly upends that view. You see that American cities, like for example, DC or Atlanta or Chicago, and even New York City, you have these ghettos that are organized by race that tell you that racial segregation does exist in some form. Uh, and that is a story that only data could have told. That is a story that can make that narrative explicitly clear because this a lot of people have faith in numbers uh, and the census is one of the more important data sets that we have in the United States. Uh, 
and that we have faith that those numbers do not lie and mm. because of that particular thing it is possible for us to tell stories in very unique ways um and it's not necessarily specific to a domain so it's domain agnostic i believe mm. can you maybe talk about uh maybe one of your favorite pieces that you've done where we might not just think about data in a way cuz like you were saying we we usually go to politics or sports because there's data all over the place in those places to deal with like we actually see those numbers right and we hear the numbers all the time but can you maybe talk about what's another domain or an article that you've written that you you were able to do some data visual, visualization around that maybe we don't think about every day that maybe there's not numbers there maybe there's other data that you're using to tell that visualization um Cool. Uh, so I think data journalism in the end is just simply counting things. Um, you're just counting things or things you want to count. Like for example, one of the stories, like you said, one of the, I mean, we've done a lot of stories that are on politics, election results, uh, you know, sports results, economic indicators. Um, yeah. But you could also do something as basic as how often has someone said something. Um, so I think in twenty. 20- 18 i did this story where uh, i counted how often did the prime minister of india say a bunch of keywords in all of his speeches mm. very simple we had a script we had all the we had all the scripts for all of his speeches we ran code that counted how often he said certain things we just added them up together and you could see what are topics he was passionate uh, in talking about and what are topics he did not talk about and then you could compare mm. it with his predecessor and then find out how different their styles of speaking were that's a very common way of visualizing uh something that isn't traditional but it's also informative it gives you a lot more about that person's priorities without necessarily making it an opinion piece i think a lot of readers uh are generally annoyed by opinion pieces uh because they don't believe that they have some basis in reality whereas here we are just simply counting uh we are counting how often someone has said something we have the code for it anybody can run that code uh so it's replicable uh that's one one interesting thing that we did um that isn't traditional i mean technically it could fall into politics but it was right. counting something words <laughs> it's counting words yeah it's it's not it's wow. not the most intuitive of numbers i think so where there are yeah. numbers you create numbers i guess I love that because I'm thinking, you know, we'll have some some ELA teachers, some literature teachers who will be hearing you and and be thinking about the analysis that could be done with a novel in terms of looking at the words, the adjectives that are used, you know, from different characters. Um Harsha, in your training when you were doing that master's degree in data journalism, I'm just wondering if you might kind of expand a little bit on one or two of the courses that you have to take in order to get a master's because I'm wondering how does it balance what you're describing as the coding or maybe the you know the computer science part versus you know understanding storytelling as you're talking about that this is also really about communication and this is also really about making sure that messaging is delivered in a clear cohesive way that helps people understand so the program that i did at columbia the ms in data journalism is a very unique program um it seeks to combine storytelling as a journalistic process and also teach you sufficient coding skills uh 
and it gives you enough leeway to figure out what you want to do with it uh some of my classmates for example are traditional journalists um they now do work that is very similar to traditional journalism investigative reporting but then they use numbers more succinctly they think about how do you communicate these numbers in a way it makes sense like for example one of the most simplest things is most people do not comprehend the difference between a million and a billion they sound mm-hmm. very similar but a billion is a much much larger number uh yeah. and how do we communicate that um because people assume it like you know writing is simple but i think when you use a lot of numbers the reader is exhausted there's also thanks to the pandemic people are exhausted by numbers um people want to read something simple and lucid so i think one of the things that the course teaches you is how do you not bombard people with numbers that's that's like the traditional mm-hmm. journalism end of it and on the other hand you have um some people like for example one of my classmates is now at the times uh and he's a senior software engineer there and he builds massive infrastructure that enables news websites to remain afloat like the number of people who use wordle which is now a new york times product is about 50 million a day uh hmm. you cannot yeah so you will need someone to build the infrastructure for it so these are two discrete ends of like the width of the program you could be a traditional journalist that uses numbers or you could also transition to becoming a software engineer and this program is somewhere in between it gives you the skills uh to figure out which direction you want to lean in and the good thing is it also teaches you not just writing coding but also data visualization so it's like a trifecta uh so if you're good at all three of those then you're a very very talented person Mm-hmm. And I just, I find this really fascinating because I mean, just the name dropping that you've done, you've already talked about the Washington Post, the New York Times, you work at the San Francisco Chronicle. When we're talking about being a journalist in 2022 and beyond, a huge part of it is having this understanding of data, it sounds like, and having this, and I love Trisha, your questions about you know, this balance between storytelling, which is what we believe, oh no, I'll use the air quotes, traditional journalist with this idea of how does data fit into that, that storytelling technique. And it's really interesting that when we think about, especially these newspapers, they're all online now. And I don't know what your readership is online versus paper-based anymore, but does that add another component, like to your point of understanding how to code? Because you can do these graphics online, you know, you can zoom into a graphic, you can pinpoint down to the exact neighborhood when you're on the online version. You can't do that in the paper version. The paper version, I can try to make the paper scroll in as much as I want. The paper doesn't scroll. So are, are we seeing, are, are, are you kind of seeing this as well across, I would say, the industry that having some kind of coding background as a journalist is becoming more and more the, the standard? Well, traditionally, it is not a uh, it is not a secret that the print industry is suffering um, in the United States, and more and more people tend to read news on digital uh, platforms like social media or the websites or the newspapers themselves. Uh, that said, a lot of people revere print journalism, um, and like you said, print journalism is built with a constraint: you can't scroll in it, so you'll have to be sharper and. the way right now social media and like our attention span on the digital world is um there are media outlets that are trying to capture that and they they're seen as two discrete audiences like print for example when you design for print 
you have to put as much information as possible because that's you you think about space you think that this is right. the amount of space i have and i have to put whatever i can on this whereas on the digital thing you think about time you think okay this person mm. has this much attention span how do we distribute the information in that time span so newspapers across the world have been thinking about it uh and the skills that you need for print and digital are largely the same they are in the end storytelling i think the the presentation is what varies like for example um just yesterday we were working on a, a map of fault lines around santa rosa after the earthquake um the digital version has a very detailed map of all the fault lines um around the nine counties in the bay area whereas the print version has a zoomed in version of santa rosa has the hayward the <laughs> creek and the san andreas yeah. fault labeled and annotated i think you're trying to say the same thing and you're presenting it differently um and that's something a lot of people think about in newsrooms uh because these are written for two different kinds of uh readers yeah That's writing for a variety of audiences. Yeah. Trisha, how many times do we see writing for a variety of audiences show up in school standards? Well, and I appreciate that Harsha points out it's writing for a variety of audiences and it's also writing for that variety of audiences who as you said have a limited amount of attention and have no limit really to the different sources they can go to. You know, again there's so many different places that people can go now for news um there's a a free service that i subscribe to called frame it's all interactive journalism and you know also what you're saying makes me realize just in terms of the extent to which our news looks or feels different it it almost feels like that part of the competition is maybe going to intensify Uh and I'm wondering Harsha, you know, our our audience will be thinking about this career pathway that you're talking about and there's so many different skills I feel like I hear you addressing and I'm also wondering if one of those skill sets is collaboration. Um when you're putting together a data visualization, doing your work, are you often partnered with a few other folks who you're, you know, kind of figuring out what does this story need to do and how will this story operate? sure uh when journalism traditionally has been like a lone wolf sort of thing you work on your story you're very possessive about your sources your story your narrative your style and then you work with an editor on this data journalism is a lot more cooperative like you you uh you clearly delineate what kind of roles you want to do like for example in the in the quake story that i was talking about yesterday i did none of the reporting uh the reporting mm-hmm. happened by someone who lives very close to santa rosa they spoke to the people they got the photos they got the quotes they got the narrative and they thought it would be useful for the readers to have a map and my job there was to just build a map on the other hand mm-hmm. there are stories that i entirely report i also code uh, but like uh, but like anybody who does data journalism knows um, because you have all these skills you're tempted to use all these skills and try doing it solo <laughs> uh, and there are some people who are really good at it but i think the the really good stories come out when you cooperate with other people uh because in cooperation you bring the best of both skills you bring their skills and your skills and you can make something that's better that's my honest opinion uh i am mm. for example not the smartest person when it comes to understanding economics or politics but if you pair me up with someone who does understand that domain i'm pretty sure we can produce a story that's much much better uh Mm-hmm. so i think that's how data journalism is somewhat different from traditional journalism because 
uh, the community also um, here in the United States is very open about collaborativeness and they're always open. You can reach out to data reporters like in the post or the times and they're happy to help, which is very unusual because traditionally the reputation of journalists is that they're very secretive about sources. They don't like sharing things. Uh, so I think, I think it's like one of the ethos of data journalism is that you can only do good if you cooperate with people. And I think that's, I think that's a good way to think about things. I love that. That's such a great message. Harsh, I'm wondering if you have one or two kind of when you're thinking of a data journalist that you look up to or who, you know, when they have a new piece that's coming out, you can't wait to see it. Is there a data journalist you would point us to who you're saying this is a really interesting person to watch? Well, uh, if I take names, I will <laughs> be <laughs> harassed by the number of people whose names I've Purely uh, because the community is very tightly knit and they're all wonderful. There are some truly incredible people. Um, and the term data journalism itself is so expansive that there are some kinds of people who are good at, like, for example, the Reuters graphics team is incredible. Uh, they have mm. an outlet that's based out of Singapore. Um, uh, they're in London and New York also, but the Singapore Bureau does exceptional work. Then there are the folks in South China Morning Post, which is a print newspaper in Hong Kong. And they do the most brilliant illustrations. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other hand, you have folks at the Washington Post who do the most insightful Pan-American maps ever. And then you have folks at the Times who are really good at producing something beautiful in such a short time. Their coverage of the Russia-Ukraine war, they've been able to come out with visuals so quickly. Uh, these are all miracles, in my opinion, because it takes a lot of energy to understand what is going on in the world be able to condense it for a lay reader who doesn't care i think the point of a journalist is to make people care you convert it into a form to make people care and then you deliver it really quickly and i think these are like superpowers and many news outlets have one superpower that they're really good at so it'll be terrible if i take names <laughs> <laughs> okay. fair enough fair enough thanks harsha you know, we, we've talked a little bit about some of the skill sets, and I, I'd love for you to, if you can, for just a second, reflect on your your K-12 education, and we'll even just do kind of like your high school education. What are some of those skills? What are some of the classes that, as you kind of reflect on, were empowering to you that maybe later on in life, you were like, you know what, this is what I want to do. This is my, what are some of those skills that you felt like you really were able to have a passion around that teachers supported you in that, that led you to this? Uh, it's, it's funny. Cause, um, now that you make me think about my high school, um, I've always liked maps growing up. I moved a lot okay. while growing up. I think I grew up in like 10, 15 cities across India. Um, and as a kid, when you move around a lot, you're obviously, uh, freaking out because you're suddenly losing sense of home. You're moving to a new place where you have to make new friends. You have to understand the new city. And India is pretty diverse. You, they speak a different language. Cultural connotations are different. Uh, so for me, maps became like a primary way of understanding the space around me. Uh, I, I understood the world through maps. So for me, I was very fond of history and geography. I was always a social sciences kid. Uh, but turns out I was also good at math, uh, which is how I ended up doing engineering for my undergraduate degree. Uh, but that said, I think in terms of K-12, the skills that you'd need to be a good reporter is one is to pay attention. Like I think paying attention 
I don't think it's necessarily a high school skill, but it's something that that's definitely helpful. Be somewhat decent at writing, and be able to write in a way that people want to read. A lot of people usually mm-hmm. end up writing prosaic language that nobody wants to read. That tends to do well for academia, I think. But I like in journalism, it's crucial that you write something that people want to read. Uh, one of the reasons why BuzzFeed is so popular is because BuzzFeed figured out the way that people want to read on the internet. Uh, a lot of traditional journalists might disagree with BuzzFeed's style of writing, but it is what people are reading. So I think you have to learn how to communicate. Um, and most data journalism is just being able to count. So if you know basic math, I think you should be fine. Uh, there's a lot of math that I don't understand, for example. Uh, sometimes in my role, in my previous role uh, at Mint, my editor, who's an economist, uh, wanted us to calculate the poverty levels of India in 2017 using this very complicated data set that the government has. Uh, and he said, you should do this. And I said, I have no training in economics. What do you mean? He said, <laughs> this is what you do. You add these up, you divide this by this, and this is the logic, and this is the end. And I said, wait, you are telling me that the government of India calculates this number based on simple math. Uh, <laughs> Not, not, not to put them down, but I mean, there were logic. There were, there was obviously some economic logic to deciding those numbers, but in the end, sure. it was just basic math, uh, and we were able to do something that the Planning Commission of India takes a really long while to arrive at, and there's like a lot of fanfare around that number, and then you're just like, what? It's just a bunch of Excel sheets and you adding numbers. That wasn't too difficult. Uh, so I think if you're good at like some, if you're somewhat decent at math, like if you know two plus two is four, I think you're good enough. Uh, and I think you have to have an attention to detail. Uh, I think a lot of people underestimate how much effort goes into producing numbers. Uh, I mean, Alberto Cairo's book on how charts lies, how, how people misutilize numbers to lie about it. But that's it. Uh, when journalists arrive at a number, they, they think about how has this number arrived at? They don't take the number for truth itself. They count it. Like, for example, when you do the census, a lot of people assume that the population of the United States is X, some 300 million, whatever. Um, but what they forget is that there's a margin of error. So that means there's a plus and minus. And certain communities are undercounted. For example, Native American counties are uh, Native Americans are undercounted in the census. Uh, if you are going to be doing a sto- story on counting them, you talk about how they've been undercounted. A lot of people might say the margin of error is too tiny. I don't care. I think the point of a journalist is to make people care is to figure out why there is undercounting. And if there is a number, be clear about the caveats of it. So I think in the end, it's just paying attention, uh, being honest about what you're putting out in the world, making sure that is uh, vetted by experts. And these are these are not necessarily skills that are taught by a particular class, but I think these are just useful skills that you learn from different subjects. And I think mm-hmm. you just make sure that like in this era of disinformation and misinformation, you want to be as truthful as possible. And numbers, thankfully, are a thing that a lot of people still believe are the truth, even though they forget that a lot of these numbers are often manipulated to be arrived. Numbers are something that a lot of people across spectrums believe is still the truth. So there is a ground for people to understand that this is a shared reality. Uh I might be rambling a little bit, but I think these are just general skills. You have to be somewhat good at writing, somewhat decent at math, and you have to pay attention to detail. And it helps if you learn how to code. Uh, I highly recommend uh, 
that people learn and have some familiarity with coding. Um, I started coding when I was in the fourth grade. Uh, not that I was good at it for the first 10 years. I was terrible at it. Um, <laughs> so it's funny that I code for a living now. But uh, it, it definitely helped because computers operate a certain way and the potential that computers unlock is immense. Uh, I sound like I'm from the early 80s talking about computers. Ooh, look at this thing. <laughs> uh, I mean, I truly mean it. Uh, you have people who are able to go through millions of documents really quickly. You have people who are able to analyze large bits of information very quickly. And since the world is evolving to a very data-centric world, uh, it helps to know how to code. It helps to be somewhat familiar with coding as an idea because I think increasingly, uh, also disparity-wise, uh, those who know coding end up getting jobs with more money. Uh, there's also some economic basis for it. Uh, like, for example, within journalism itself, if you learn how to code, the pay is much better. Um, wow. This is not, uh, I mean, this is not a diss on traditional journalists, but that's how the industry is structured. Data journalists do end up making more money than traditional journalists. And I think the coding skills help because, um, mm. for example, I've moved out of journalism to software engineering with the coding skills that I have. Um because sometimes journalism, as wonderful as the domain is, does not give us enough money. Uh, I'm not talking about my current employer. I'm talking about the Indian context. Uh, I moved out of journalism in India because I was not making enough. And I moved out of tech where I was paid much, much more money. And that helped because I knew how to code. Hmm. Okay, That's Sorry. <laughs> no disclaimer. No, You're not talking great. about your current employer. Completely appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> My current employer is great. I uh, I I think one of the reasons I'm excited to do journalism in the United States is a you have unions, which is great. Unions make sure that employees have access to things that they should have to get their job done. So you have someone fighting for fair wages so that we're not struggling, which is always a wonderful thing. Thank we you so much for. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that, Harsha. I feel like it's it's such a powerful message to end on what you were saying yeah. in terms of you did coding for a decade and it wasn't quite your thing yet. And, you know, that message of sticking with something, not necessarily having to be the best at it, but that being able to combine those different interests, see across different subject areas and pair some skills together has given you so many different opportunities. And, and that's, I think, an important message for, for all of us to be thinking about. So thank you so much for sharing your experience. We really look forward to following the work that you do with the San Francisco Chronicle. So thank you for telling us all about um, your this new start, this new chapter in your journey. Yeah. So and Harsha, if, if people want to reach out to you, uh, what's the best way if somebody wants to follow you and see some of the work that you're doing, wh where should they go? Um, they could, for the work that I currently do, you can always become a subscriber for the San Francisco Chronicle. Um, and please encourage your local media. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter. I'm on Harsha Reports, H-A-R-S-H-A-R-E-P-O-R-T-S. Uh, and I should be there. Don't have to apologize for the rant. That was so good. It was giving me chills over here. So that was awesome. Uh, really appreciate it. Well, Harsha, thank you for spending some time with us. We will make sure there are links to everything in the show notes so people can reach out to you, follow you on Twitter and uh, go and subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle uh, to see more of your work. So Harsha, thank you for spending some time with us today. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.